Good morning, church. Wow. This might be the fastest I've ever been up here. It's exciting. This is the last Sunday of 2019. That is a very weird feeling to me, but at the same time, very exciting. We're on the cusp of 2020 of an entirely new year. And as we think of this year, you know, it's been a year of unbelievable memories, of incredible victory, of so much change. So many things have happened this year in all of our lives. You know, I was going through old pictures and I found a picture of Emily, several pictures of my daughter Emily on January 1st of this year. And so I posted them next to each other. This was January 1st, 2019, and this was taken just a few weeks ago. The difference that a year can make. My daughter's gorgeous. I love her. But man, change is remarkable. And so many things happen in a year. You know, it's typical at this time that usually we start reflecting on, man, how did I do this year? Did I keep the weight off this year? Did I get the raise this year? Did I accomplish my project? And we start thinking of, in a productivity sense, you know, how did I do this year? And then we start setting up some fancy resolutions for how I'm going to do next year. And I'm of the type of person, I think resolutions should be done away with entirely. I think just we should just abolish resolutions. Because really, they're the butt of so many jokes, right? You make a resolution, people are like, yeah, come on, for real. Like, we all know. It's, it's such a cliched thing to make resolutions now. And they're all centered around productivity. And for all the reasons we just talked about, there are so many things that happen in life that to try to map out your year and what you're going to accomplish there with any degree of success is... Extremely difficult to say in the least. And so this morning, my my goal is not that we think about, man, what do we want to accomplish next year? But a better question of who do we want to be next year? Because for all the life that we just talked about and all the things, even when you think about this year and fires and tragedies and ups and downs and trips and travel and all the things, all the life that happened this year that was out of your control. There is absolutely one thing every year that is completely in your control. Something that has the single greatest determining factor over what next year and the next trillion years is going to look like for you. And that is your relationship with God. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. You know, your relationship with God or lack thereof will determine who you are as a parent. Who you are as a spouse as a roommate, as a friend, as a co-worker, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, as an individual in your world of influence. And when you make a decision to follow Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to live a crucified life, God's transformation changes the very fabric and trajectory of your life. Not just your eternity, but the here and now. You're called to live a different life, to live against the grain of the world. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus of what this new life in Christ is supposed to look like here on earth. And so this morning, we're going to read through verses 1 1 through 16 and look at some of the things that Paul told the church so that we can frame our thoughts as we think about who we want to be moving forward 
into the next year. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible reads, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, Paul was giving the church lessons here on how their lives were supposed to be different now that they were following God. He was trying to help a church made of Jewish Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians come together as a family within Christ, And in doing so, in this passage, he calls them to two very powerful ideas. The first is that we are called to unity. In verse 1 through 3, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, to be completely humble and gentle, to be patient, bearing with one another in love, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, this is a picture of musk oxen. Musk oxen live in extremely Arctic temperatures. This is the National Geographic moment of your day. And they're super cool. They're shaggy. They have enormous horns. They're gigantic. They live on these tundras and eat grass. And what's so cool about them is they have this unity instinct. Because you live in such a crazy place, when wolves and predators come to try to pick them off, all the, baby, all the calves, the, the young musk oxen and the females all kind of come together and then all the men circle around them in an almost perfect circle of just tusks and anger as you can see here and and it's an incredibly effective defense against basically all predators if they ring up like that most wolves they just go oh man dang it we missed our shot and they just and they leave because they present a united front you know, and I love nature because you get to see all of these little principles of God kind of lived out in practical ways. And this is definitely one level of unity, right? Unity under the threat of danger. And when I think about us, you know, we can unite under common threat of danger. 
I would say as a community, as a church, as people in Santa Clarita, we reunited under common threat and common tragedy earlier this year uh, in the Saugus shooting just several months ago. There was a unity when we came together and rallied around the hurting members of our community. But when I think about this unity, this is a unity that can be achieved by must oxen. So you know when God is in the mix, he is calling us to an entirely different level of unity. That survival unity is not enough. God's plan wasn't that our unity would be just a utility for life. God intended unity to be a meaningful and deep relational connection with one another. Right, the language that Paul uses in verses 1 through 3, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with each other in love. You know, these aren't comments that you make in, about life and death situations. These are attributes of deep, meaningful relationships. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing in love. They are vital components. You know, the unity that God calls us to is not, with one another, is not one in which your relationships exist in a survival context. Sometimes we can be like that when it comes to our friendships. Like you call your friends or you spend time with your friends when things are really bad. Or when maybe you've made a mistake. Or you need help and you don't know what to do. And and that's really kind of the extent that you will initiate in your relationships with people. But that's kind of the same way that people reach out to, like, park rangers. You know what I'm saying? When you're lost in the woods and you, I don't know where to go or what to do, or, oh, I fell and I broke my leg. Park ranger, come say. That's not a friendship. That's a lifeline. That's not a deep, meaningful relationship. That's a please help me because you have to, and you'll feel bad otherwise. You know, that's not the unity that God is calling us to. The kind of unity even that we can have in the church where you say, you know, oh man, I love this brother or sister. They're so incredible in Christ. But you know what? They, they did hurt me in the past. And so we're, we're actually really great as long as they stay over there and they don't try to initiate any kind of relationship with me. I love this brother. We are at peace with each other. We're just not friends. That's, that's not really unity. That's the basis level of unity there. could. That's tolerance. That's like extremely sensitive tolerance. That is not the unity that God called us to. He called us to a unity that exists in genuine relationships. Relationships marked by these things. Patience, gentleness, humility, this long-suffering Love And maybe in 2019, this is something that you've been avoiding. I know some of us have. Or something that maybe you've shied away from and made different excuses as to why this is the state of your relationships. Like, for instance, Chaz, I'm not a super social person. You know, you have the members of the fellowship over here. You have the, yeah, type of people out here in the fellowship. You have the Mark Felicis and such who are... Extremely extroverted. I am not that way. I, I need relationships to come to me. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. 
You know, I, I wasn't made this way. I, I, it's life draining to me when people come and want to be friends with me. Or, you know what, I'm just not a trusting person. And there's so many friendships I have. You, you have to prove to me this is the way I am. God made me this way. That is just not true. It's just flat out wrong. That is not the way that God made you. You read the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Made in the image of God. God is at his very core relational. And this isn't about an extrovert, introvert, excuse type of thing. No, this is, that is not the issue here. The issue is you're seeing your need for relationships and whether or not you're willing to be uncomfortable enough to pursue them because you need them. That is how you were made. Everything else is maybe how you're comfortable. But that's not how you actually are. God has called us to be relational. You know, a way that I'm seeing this recently is in our teen ministry. With the resurgence of something I never really expected to see, only hear about in the annals of history. Dungeons and Dragons. So it swept through our teen ministry like a firestorm at Lake Buena Vista and since then has just gained an enormous following here in our teen ministry. Parents, if you're worried, it's okay. We have a lot of rules, so just we'll put it at that. But I was wondering, like, because I was hearing even in schools, I was at a football game, one of Luke Blakely's football games with uh, his dad, Paul. And one of the guys from the other team was a relative who came over and started talking. He goes, hey, don't you play Dungeons and Dragons, too? And he goes, oh, yeah, me and a bunch of the guys on the team play. I'm like, this is weird. Why is this? Is this just spreading? And so after, like, doing some research, apparently Dungeons and Dragons has made this enormous resurgence since 2014. The parent company has reported that every year since 2014, they have broken record sales of Dungeons and Dragons. And they now estimate there's like 40 million people in the U.S. who are playing this game. And so all of these analysts, all of these social commentators are, are wondering, you know, they're trying to figure out why is this coming back? Like, why is this a thing? And, and, and as this is growing, they're noticing these trends in games like Fortnite and in these different online games that all of, you know, your kids play are going down. And so they started to draw this correlation, and they go, you know what? It's because that people are getting away from online gaming out of a desire for connection with people. That when you play Dungeons & Dragons, you have to sit at a table with your friends and talk and engage and be face-to-face and be present. And that people are craving this, and popular culture is shifting as people are desiring to reconnect with their friends in a deeper, more meaningful way than just yelling at each other over a headset. But what does this tell us? This tells us that people are recognizing what Paul told the church in Ephesus a long time ago, that we were called to be unified together. We were called to deep, meaningful relationships. And not only with one another, but we were called to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God first and foremost. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 4, Paul writes, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
But to each one of us, Christ, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You know, Paul reminds the church that they were called to one hope and faith in the Lord, that no one's excluded from this opportunity to have a relationship with God. That at his core, this is God's deepest desire, is to have a relationship with us. And not just a, I kind of know about you from afar, but a deep, personal, intimate, right relationship with us. One where he is over your life, through your life, and in your life. You know, for some of us, the call to unity with God is, as Ron said in his midweek a few weeks ago, that it's a matter of reinvention. That maybe as you've gotten through 2019, you felt a little bit of a stagnation in your relationship with God. And what your daily need of responsibility and emotional turmoil requires is a greater measure of your connection with God. That your current level is not good enough for where your life is now. And it falls to us then to seek deeper connection. Whether that's spending different time, spending more time, asking around. We have so many resources at our fingertips of those around us whose relationship with God looks different and exciting. That we can lean on one another, there's the unity, to try to get closer to God in these ways. You know, maybe for you, you, it's just a matter of studying the Bible with someone who's been inviting you out. You know, it's so exciting to see so many of our friends here. Because of the last one. You know, a lot of times we'll show up to things that are monumental or if it's the last one or the Christmas one. and We're just glad you're here. But to reinvent your relationship with God, maybe that means you just need to sit down and study out the scriptures. Maybe you haven't done it in a long time or ever. And you have this conception of who God is. But you don't know if it's true or not. I encourage you, man, dig into the scriptures. Get with somebody. You know, for those of you who are studying the Bible, maybe you have been studying the Bible. I want to challenge you to make a decision to turn yourself in. Some of us have been studying the Bible for a long time. And if we're honest, we've been dragging our feet. And, and you're waiting for something, but, but you don't really know what it is. Like you've been coming to church and studying the Bible and you look at the scriptures and you go, this life is incredible. I, man, it, it's so inspiring. I've seen so much change, so much community service. When I look at this year and the banquet and all the photos and I'm just reminded, man, I'm a part of something great. Well, okay, bro. So when are you just going to commit then and write your relationship with God? Because you're just sitting on top of the fence waiting for what like there is going to be no perfect day when the angels come down and heaven opens up and your cup of coffee is perfect and you're just oh today is the day i ate my bread and the lord has said okay now you need to become a disciple today this is you were waiting it's it's no it's just need to go for it if you're waiting for that day that day is never going to happen don't go into 2020 dragging on and on and on and on. Make a decision. Be unified with God. Be unified with his people. And the other thing that God has called us to, as we look forward in the new year, is he has called us 
to maturity. And I want to make a distinction here by telling you a story. Distinction about maturity. So this is from a movie on Netflix right now called The King. The King is a cinematic depiction of some of the life of Henry V. Now, when I saw this on Netflix, I got pumped. I'm a history major. I got my degree in history, medieval history, castle. I was like, I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to brush up on all my Henry V knowledge. This is going to be awesome. It's a really good movie. Historical inaccuracies, but it's really good. (laughs) I can say that. But one of the things I really wish they would have put in the movie is that Henry V in 1403 participated with his father, the king, Henry IV, in the Battle of Shrewsbury. Now, back then, they did war way different. Like, this period of time is referred to in English history as the Hundred Years' War. Because England and France were literally at war, active war, for 100 years. It's hard to imagine. And so he and his father, they go to this enormous battle that's going on in Shrewsbury, And he's given command of a a significant portion of the army, which was several thousand men. And they ride into battle, and and it's this epic English victory. But somewhere in the battle, he gets shot in the face with an arrow. And it's such a violent injury that the arrowhead is embedded. It's not coming out the back of his head, but it's embedded in the bone at the base of his skull. And you know, like way back when, like, I mean, if you got a paper cut, like, you were probably going to die. Like, it was just, it was not a good look. Like, medicine was suspect. It was like leeches and, you know, just not good. But the the physician, you know, was an incredible, read all, like, had the best health care because he was the king's son. And so he actually, they were able to remove the arrowhead without causing further damage. He didn't die of infection. It was pretty incredible. But the more incredible part is that he finished the battle with the injury, and stayed on the field. Now, to give you an idea, battles are not like football games. Battles lasted like anywhere from five to ten hours. Like, you were on the battlefield all day. So this kid won the battle with his dad with an arrow in his face over a period of likely six to eight hours. Why is this important? Well, he was 16 when this all happened. So number one, I share this because it's awesome, and uh, that's our teen ministry. And for all of the teens, it's a good question to ask yourself what you've accomplished by your 16th birthday, because that's pretty epic. It set the bar pretty high. But number two, because maturity is different from experience. God doesn't call us to experience. God calls us to maturity. This 16-year-old had very little experience. But to be entrusted with a couple thousand men and put on the battlefield, he was very mature for his age. Experience comes with time. A wise man once said it takes a year to get a year's experience. That is true. Maturity is not a matter of time. Maturity is a matter of being trained and allowing yourself to be trained and training yourself to be godly. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God put the people in your life, leaders and not, to equip you and to train you for works of service. So that ultimately the body, the rest of us, would be built up in unity. That requires maturity. Well, what's the point of that? Well, the goal of maturity is your life reaching the fullness of Christ. It is being able through God's word, through the spirit, and through spiritual counsel to be able to process and navigate through your life with God's perspective and not a worldly one. This is the same principle that, man, you could see someone get baptized yesterday, like we did, who can be very spiritually mature, who can have this incredibly godly perspective as they look through the things in their life, the situations through their life, handle it with incredible poise and perspective and spirituality. But this is the same principle that can have 30-year-old Christians who handle themselves with the spiritual maturity of someone who just got baptized a day ago. Because it's not about time. It's about, are you training yourself? Are you allowing God to use people in your life to train you to be godly? Do you put yourself in situations that are going to help you grow? Challenging situations, things that are going to stretch your faith, things that are going to stretch your patience, your gentleness, all of those things. You know, I had a, it was funny, I was talking to a brother and he was counseling me through just a difficult discipling situation in my life. And I remember very lovingly, he said, bro, you need to make some new mistakes. I thought, huh. He goes, you've been making the same mistake now for a little while. You need to learn. You need to grow through this and make some new mistakes. And I thought that's a great principle because that's a great marker of growing maturity. Do you still make the same mistakes you did in January? Are you still losing your temper over the same situations? Are you still short with your spouse over the same situations? Are you still struggling with things in your character things that you're trying to work through, that you've been working through now for several months, maybe several years. It is time to mature. It is time to train yourself to be godly, to dig into God's word, to dig in with the men and the women that God has put in your life to equip you to grow through these things. So that these are not the same struggles that you have not just next year, but for the next years. We need to learn to make some new mistakes. Amen? What is your spiritual maturity going to look like as you look forward into 2020? You know, Paul talks about how we do not have the mind of the world. In 1 Corinthians 2.15, I'm just going to read it. It says, The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Maturity is more and more and more having the mind of Christ in your life. When you look at your relationships, the situations in your life, how you handle those things, are you looking at them 
more and more like Christ. Maturity has incredible fruit. Not just in your life, but in our fellowship, in our community, in the kingdom. Maturity lends itself to so much growth. In Ephesians 4, as we bring it in here for a close, in verse 14, Paul writes, Because of maturity, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, as we think about the cross this morning, As we think about this year and what Christ has done in our lives. We are incredibly lucky. In all of the Bible. That becoming a disciple. That making a decision to follow Jesus is not where the line ends. But that Christ continues to make us more like him. That his desire was that the whole body joined and held together, would continue to grow. That we would continue to grow. That the ligaments of love, of trust, of our relationships with one another, that these ligaments of unity would propel the kingdom forward, would propel us into our communities to be agents of incredible change, into our families to be agents of incredible repentance and healing. That the world around us, because of Christ continuing to mature us, would look more and more like him. Because we look more and more like him. But that requires us to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. As Christ put himself at the cross to give us this opportunity. To give us this chance. That not only would we have our sin forgiven, have the opportunity of eternity, but that we could be healed from past hurts and that the trajectory of our eternity and our lives here on earth might be different. And so as we reflect on the cross and what Jesus has done, as we look forward to who he's continuing to make us to be in 2020 and in the years beyond, let's remember that Christ has called us to be unified with himself and with each other and has called us to continuing to grow that we might be built up in love and build up those around us. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Father, you are so incredibly good to us. Not only have you given us your very self, but you've given us everything that we need here in this life to become like you, to be close to you, to know who you are, and to bring our friends with us, that we might have relationships that give us real-life examples, practical, tangible examples of your greater love. God, that no detail was too small to think through, that you planned everything out, 
to a T to give us the best possible chance that we might have eternity with you, that we might make it, and that we might become incredibly mature, incredibly unified, that our love would continue to grow more and more among those that you've allowed to be in our lives. And as we take communion this morning, as we look forward into 2020, God, I pray that our thoughts are not of what we want to achieve, but of who we want to be. And in what ways could we possibly be closer to you? In what ways could you possibly transform us to be more like you? That this life would continue, we'd be able to follow in your footsteps, that we'd be able to continue to have an incredible impact on those around us. Thank you so much for the fellowship, for the body that we have here in Santa Clarita, for the opportunities that you've given us that we might be equipped to be your people more and more and more. Thank you so much, and I pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.